Built Not Born, episode 22. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made their impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jiu-jitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Matt Marcinic. Matt Marcinic, a native of Scranton, Pennsylvania, is a certified mental performance coach, a motivational speaker, and a brown belt in both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo. Matt is the owner of the No Limits Grappling Academy in Blakely, PA. Matt is also a graduate of Marywood University with a BA in English and earned a master's degree in education from the University of Missouri. But that is not even half of Matt's incredible story. At nine months old, Matt Marcinic was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. At that time, a neurologist recommended to Matt's parents that they, quote, place him in a facility where he would receive round-the-clock care and never look back. Lucky for Matt and his students today, his parents said no. They gave Matt the opportunity to fight through almost insurmountable odds to create a remarkable life. Matt discusses the amazing gift his parents gave him throughout his life, a gift which is so rare today, his parents allowed him to fail. Matt shares his story of how he conquered seemingly insurmountable adversity and created his life. From becoming an Eagle Scout, to talking his way onto his high school wrestling team, to opening his own Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Talking to Matt, it's not hard to understand when he tells you that he does not even consider himself disabled. Like Matt says in our discussion, there is no playbook to operate as a disabled person. So you do your best with what you've been given and then go from there. Matt says, if you want to go do something, figure out a way to do it, then just get it done. Wow. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Matt Marcinic, mental performance coach, motivational speaker, brown belt in both jiu-jitsu and judo, owner of the No Limits Grappling Academy, and someone who flat out defies the odds. And remember, life is built not born. Matt Marcinic, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Really appreciate it. I uh, look forward to speaking with you. For the listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm Matt Marcinic. I'm a jiu-jitsu coach. I'm the owner of No Limits Grappling Academy in Blakely, PA. I'm also a certified mental performance coach. I'm a brown belt in judo and a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. I have a little bit of a unique story that we're going to get into. There's a lot of mindset coaches. There's a lot of mental performance coaches. There's a lot of brown belts in jiu-jitsu, but there's not a lot that do all those things that also can't walk. So that's a little bit about me and who I am. Wow. I want to get into your story, but I want to go back all the way to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Peckville, Pennsylvania. It's about 15 minutes outside of Scranton, the same place that the office 
took place in. Uh, for one sure. of the greatest shows in the history of television. For sure. Um, now, take us back to when you were a little kid, say uh, 10 years old. Okay. What was it like around your house? Maybe even describe the dinner table. Who's sitting around? If you're having dinner as a family or a group, who's there and what's going on? Yeah, I was super, super lucky in that I had my mom, my dad, and my brother. And then my mom's family is pretty big, five brothers. And I had my uncles and my grandmother, like they're over a lot, very close family. But I would say almost we fit kind of the Scranton mold. Like we're pretty blue collar, hardworking people. I was very lucky to have parents that like always want to hear about our day want to know about our goals, uh, wanted to, <clears throat> to keep us on track. We're very involved in our lives, whether it was with sports or Boy Scouts, things like that. Pretty much your standard, typical American childhood. What's the most vivid memory of your childhood? Ooh, that's a good question. I've been able to accomplish. Uh, I was involved in Boy Scouts. I was able to earn my Eagle Scout doing stuff like uh, climbing a 52-foot wall and rappelling to the bottom, hiking Gettysburg in 110 degrees. A lot of vivid, very cool experiences. Everything from being on the wrestling team in high school, just a lot of very cool stuff. To give some perspective, like rappelling down a wall and becoming an Eagle Seg out, on your website, on the first paragraph of your website, you state, at nine months old, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and a neurologist recommended that my parents place me in a facility where I would receive round-the-clock care, and they would never look back. That's true. Um, wow. At the time of the diagnosis, this neurologist explained to my parents what cerebral palsy was, and he said that there was a good shot that I would never walk. And, uh, you know, that in and of itself, too, <clears throat> my parents weren't brand new. They have my older brother. My older brother, but having this brand new baby, that in and of itself is pretty jarring. And then he went on to say, in addition to not being able to walk, he may never speak, feed, or dress himself. You might want to get him a computer because he'll never be able to write. And he ended the basically telling them that all of life's daily functions would not be possible for me. And he ended the conversation with probably one of the best course of actions for you to do would to to be to put him in a facility where he could receive the type of care that he would need and then never look back. From speaking to your parents, what was going through their mind when they heard like a specialist say something like that? What did they think and what was their next step? Well, it's funny. I never really asked them directly about that day, but indirectly hearing them talk about that whole conversation and that whole situation, their thought was just, no, he's our son. If he needs to be taken care of, we'll be the ones to take care of him. Like we had him, he's our responsibility, we'll raise him. And then whatever obstacles or needs come up, we're his parents. We're going to meet those needs for them. And thank God they've done that my whole life. And they still continue to do that to this day. We started off on the one bookend at nine months. You're diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And the neurologist recommends they just put you in a facility and just go home and don't look back. Right. And then here we are now. You are a certified mental performance coach. You are a uh, 
purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Brown belt, actually. Oh, okay. Update the website, man. <laughs> yeah, I got to update the website. Two brown belts. Two yeah. brown jiu-jitsu. Yep. I think last time we were on the mat, you were a purple belt. Okay, cool. I was. Gotcha. I okay. Was. Brown belt, even more impressive in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Brown belt in judo. You were an Eagle Scout. Yep. Uh, and a motivational speaker. All right. Yep. So and now I own my own gym. And you own your own gym, and it is called No Limits Grappling Academy in Blakely, PA. Yes, sir. Let's fill in the gaps here. Let's start <laughs> off. Uh, so at what point did you start, have some sort of awareness that maybe your average day was going to be a little different than the average person's average day? Even from a very young age, I would say probably say five, four or five years old, like that kindergarten, maybe even preschool age. You see other kids walking and moving around and, and running and starting to do all that stuff and you wonder why you're not able to do that but luckily my parents and the doctors and everyone that have that's always been around me they explained what cerebral palsy was at a super early age for me like they never really dumbed something down like I always knew hey this is why life is like it is for you and I think having that knowledge just like anything when you have knowledge, it takes away the fear, mm-hmm. right? When, when you're well-versed in something, you're like, oh, okay, this isn't scary. It's just kind of something that makes me different, makes me unique, and we just have to deal with it. One of the best things my parents all did is they allowed me to fail. They allowed me to try whatever I said I wanted to, to do something. They told me that I was able to do it, and they allowed me to fail. That allowed me to persevere. And then it created who I am today. I think if they sugarcoated what was going on with me and they didn't want me to do the things that I wanted to do, and they said, you know, we have to readjust and we kind of have to, you have to do things that are more tailor-made to you, that I probably wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I wouldn't have the mindset that I do today and I wouldn't have been able to get through things the way that I'm able to get through them now. You are crediting awareness and reality. You had an early awareness and your parents shared your reality and they allowed you to fail. So failure, awareness, and and realism. Yeah, That's the basis that let you become who you are, gave you that mindset of where where you are right now. Is that fair to say? Sure. 100%. I've always taken the approach of, I can't run from who I am. I can't run from this disability, or I can't control that this happened to me, but I sure as hell can control how I'm going to, I can't control how I was seen from the start of my life, but I sure as hell can control how I'm going to be seen from that day forward. I'm going to, I'm going to redefine the outcome of who I am. After you had that awareness and that realism and your parents are allowing you to fail. When you're in that process of going from that initial diagnosis at nine months old to here you are owning your own gym and being a motivational speaker, who were some of the biggest influences in your life along the way? And now my parents. My parents never treated me differently. They explained to me that there was going to be some challenges and that I wasn't going to be able to do everything exactly like the way everybody else may have done it but that I could still do things and that I shouldn't 
put limitations on myself right off the bat. Pretty much everybody has to deal with something. If you want to do something, figure out a way to do it and just get it done. Instead of sitting around and crying and saying, why me? And thinking about you know what could have been. Instead of thinking about what could have been, I, I like to think about what is. Right. What is and, and where I'm going. That's basically it. And if I would come home and complain about about something or ask them, why does it have to be like this? They just say, because it, it is what it is and figure a way out or simply just do your best. Just do your best with what you've been given and then go from there. And if you think you could do better the next time, do better the next time. Mm-hmm. That reminds me a lot of, say, swimmers. A swimmer is going for their personal best. They're trying to be better than who they were yesterday. Like sure. It's always the race in the mirror. It's always, yep. I had a 35.2. I want something lower than that this time. What, yeah, in, sw- in, in swimming, you can't really look at the lane next to you. Like You can't see what that other person is doing. The, the only focus is on you and what you're doing. A lot of times I do get messages from either disabled people or children that might be disabled, and they ask me questions. And depending on the question, sometimes I have to say, I have no idea what your child's dealing with because I, I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what what their struggles are. I can give you some, some canned advice and like what worked for me, but I can't say this is what you have to do, mm-hmm. right? There's no playbook to operate as a disabled person. To be perfectly honest, I don't even look at myself as being disabled. Sometimes if I'm passing by a mirror sitting in my wheelchair, like one of my my first thoughts is that's what I look like in this thing. Mm-hmm. Because in my head, I don't see a disabled person. Mm-hmm. Or if I see pictures of myself on the mat, I'm like, that's what I look like when I'm on the mat. Because in my head, I just see myself rolling. Your horse Gracie in 93. Yeah, exa- exactly. You know what I mean? Like I'm doing everything that everyone else is doing. I don't see that, that I may be struggling or that like my legs are like in a weird position or something like that. I don't see that in my head. So it sounds weird, but I can't relate to other disabled people a lot of times because I don't look at myself as being disabled or having an issue with my disability because I don't. I'm 38 years old and I've pretty much been able to do everything that I've wanted to do in life. I just accept that life is going to be hard and then I deal with it. Mm -hmm. Having that awareness when someone comes to you with their problems, you said there's other disabled people that reach out to you for advice and they say, Mm -hmm. what should I do? And it's so easy to say, this is what you should do, or you just sprout off a a simple answer. They think that'll fix the other person's problems. But you have the awareness to say that I have no idea what you're up against. I don't know how you perceive yourself or what situation you're in. That takes a lot of awareness to do that. It's it's why I don't like self-help books too much. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of self-help books that you read, they'll say things like, the key is to just be positive. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could be positive, mm-hmm. I wouldn't need a self-help book, right? Yeah. Like, like that's like, <clears throat> if I don't know what a person's going through, and I'm like, and I just give them advice, hey man, you just have to keep going. Well, I don't, I don't know what keep going means. If I tell them to keep going, and they're they're in pain or they're struggling or God only knows what, and they're thinking, oh man, I just have to keep going. But the answer is to go talk to somebody or get some some physical therapy or some like psychological therapy. I, I didn't help them at all. I gave them a canned answer. I don't know what people are going through. Sure. <laughs> For example, people do that 
with me in jujitsu all the time, I'll get other disabled people to message me in jujitsu. They're able to use their hips. I'm not. Or they're able to walk. I'm not. So I look at them and I'm like, man, I would love to be able to do what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to perform the way you perform and like you're asking me for advice like how about giving me some because i don't know what it feels like to be able <clears throat> to close my guard mm-hmm. i don't know what that is i don't know how to perform a scissor sweep i know how to i could teach somebody how to but i've never felt that when people are like hey i'm disabled too give me some advice on how to get my blue belt if, i don't know <laughs> train keep showing up i don't feel comfortable all the time without having all the information that i can i think a lot of times people want one answer because they want to feel better based on that one answer that they they got from the quote-unquote expert there's shades of gray sure. you see, well, yeah one size does not fit all you even see with jujitsu you take someone who's six five and they have a, an awesome jujitsu game yep. that can't be your game when you're five six like no, you, you, it can't be like you, no, you, see it all the time. you see it all the time. Like somebody that's long limbed and the five, six person's like, teach me how you do your triangle. Not happening. And you can't do it. No. You can't do it. No, that's, just because we both do jujitsu doesn't mean that my game is going to be your game. Just because we both happen to be disabled. I don't live your life and you don't live mine. I just want to shift gears a little bit here. A little part here I call share your secrets. What brought you to Brazilian jujitsu and judo? How did you go there? Wrestling. Really? How'd you, how'd you first decide to step on the wrestling mat? Yeah. So like many kids in the eighties, big pro wrestling fan, big pro wrestling fan, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. That was Saturday morning. (laughs) That was really my first love. And then in 1996, I watched Kurt Angle win the gold in the Olympics. Kurt Angle who went on to become a pretty famous pro wrestler himself. And I thought to myself, I-, I would like to do this one day. When I was in eighth grade, I went to the middle school wrestling coach. And, you know, I asked him, do you think I would be able to wrestle? And at the time, he was like, I really respect your attitude and everything. He's like, but it's going to be really hard, and I don't think you'll be able to do it. Being, what, 12 <clears throat> to 13-ish, at the time, I just accepted that for what it was and moved on. Then also, I ended up needing a couple of surgeries that took me away from my goal of wrestling, but that was always in the back of my mind. And then towards like the tail end of my junior year, going into my senior year, I just made a decision in my mind. It was like one of those classic now or never moments. If I don't at least try to do this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. I joined the wrestling team. And uh, immediately fell in love, like the whole gamut of it. Physical workouts, the mindset, the preparation, being around all my buddies, the camaraderie, everything. Do you remember the first time you stepped on the wrestling mat? What did you feel? Can you remember any of the reactions to maybe the people that didn't know you at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I I vividly remember getting my, put my shoes on, get my shoes put on. For the first time, obviously, I don't step on the wrestling mat, so my hands are the first thing hit the mat. I remember that. And even though a lot of the guys on the team were already my friends just from being my classmates, I remember you know everybody looking and the coach coming over. And 
kind of talking about what we were going to do and that it was going to be a process and things like that. And I, and I was all for it. I was just at that point, I was just thrilled that I was there, right? Thrilled that I, and I was there and I was trying it out. But then as the the season went on, the administration at my high school was at the time was short sighted. And nobody really liked the idea of me wrestling, which I found out years later. They were afraid that I was a liability, that I was going to get hurt, all that kind of stuff. During the season, things would come up and I didn't have a match and I wouldn't have a match. And I would kind of, I wasn't even dressing with the team and I would just be in, a, in my warm up. And throughout the year, I would say to my coaches, like, hey, when am I going to get a match? And, oh, we're working on it. Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Lo and behold, senior year went by, and I never got an actual competitive match in wrestling. I ended my year without wrestling. And if anybody knows me, I'm an ex- extremely competitive person. And wrestling was now a love of mine. There's no real after high school clubs for people to just wrestle. So I wound up finding jujitsu. Um, going to jiu-jitsu just because I was looking for that competitive outlet. And then at first I did jiu-jitsu probably for about six months. And But as I was getting deeper into college, I had to stop because I wanted to make sure I was good with college and that the grades were going good. From there, I actually got into judo because people told me that judo was a lot like wrestling, just wearing a gi. So I got into judo. Once I started training judo a little bit more, we got the opportunity to open a judo club in a local jiu-jitsu school. So I went back to jiu-jitsu and trained both of those simultaneously. And here we are 18 years later, and it's a big part of who I am. What's your biggest learning you took from all your time in jiu-jitsu and judo? Never give up. I'm a very competitive person. So I competed for 10 years in both judo and jiu-jitsu without getting a win. I was 0 and 80 for 10 years. 0 and 80. That's 0 and 80. 0 and 80. Yeah. Wow. I didn't get my I didn't get my first win until um May of 2013. So you're basically 0 and 80. You're at match 81. You win. What's that? Give me that moment where they're like, you win. <laughs> That's a big oh. deal. Yeah, so getting my hand raised was pretty sweet. And my buddies probably don't want to admit it, but there was there was some, you know, there were some tears and stuff. <laughs> what was different about that match? What were you able to do in that match that you weren't able to do in the other 80? I had lost my gi division before and I was going into no gi and I was pissed off. I was pissed off that I <laughs> that I lost in my gi division and it got time for no gi. I just got it in my head. I was like, you're going to end this right now. You're going to end this right now. Like, this stops right here, right now, today. Like, you, you're you just going to finish this kid, and this is all going to be over. I didn't allow myself to think anything going on in the mat besides you're ending this. And lo and behold, I was able to get the kid down. He started to turn into me. His arm came up over his face. My my favorite technique, my bread and butter technique is the arm triangle. I was able to catch it. And I have no problem saying I'm a pretty strong guy. Once I got the arm triangle, I kind of knew that either either he was tapping or, or he wasn't going to feel good the next day. 
how, <laughs> how great is that arm triangle? That is such a Amazing. money move. It's just Amazing. I always like to see what the people at the top of the food chain are working on. And I always keep an eye on Ricardo Miglarice's Instagram. Yes. And uh, yesterday at Balance, they're doing street week. And it's an arm triangle from like a yeah. push. And it's just so money. Yeah. Now that I have my own school, like I have one program right now, just because we're, we're just starting out and we're just building. It's, it's grappling foundation. It's just fundamental stuff. Since I only do nogi, but I take a lot from judo, I take a lot from wrestling, and I take a lot from jujitsu, obviously. But it's just foundations. And one of my guys is a college wrestler. He wrestled uh, D2. He's only been training with me since the school has been open. But uh, he's finding a lot of success now. And people are coming up to him and asking him, like, what his secrets are, it's all fundamental stuff. We're not reinventing the wheel. It's a lot of position, a lot of basic fundamental stuff. But, and it's funny, the older you get in jiu-jitsu and grappling in general, you tell people like, just focus on your fundamentals, guys. Focus on your basics. Like, you know, people come to you with the newest and latest and greatest move. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. But it takes 12 steps to do. Why don't you do this? It takes four steps. Mm -hmm. And while it may not be the coolest thing for Instagram or Facebook, I'm more concerned with things that win consistently and over and over. Being able to be called advanced is doing the basics like savagely well. So the more we focus on that, the better we're going to be in the long run. What was it like opening up your new academy? And what was it like the first day you opened the doors? I've been training 18 years, probably 12 of those years where I want a gym one day. Coaching is a large part of who I am. I just, I love to coach. Um, I love to, to mentor. I love to teach. I love being involved in the process of, of coaching. And I love to see people get better. I love that somebody saying that I've reached my goals because of you. Like when somebody entrusts you with their goals with something that they want to achieve in life. I think that's a really special thing. What did it feel like when I opened my academy? The best word I could think of is surreal. Even still to this day, we opened in May. And to this day, I sit there sometimes after class and I just sit up against the wall and I look out at my empty gym and I'm like, this is mine. I own this. This is mine. And it is it is honestly one of the happiest feelings of my life, All right? It doesn't matter if I have 10 students, if I have one student. This thing that I've envisioned my entire life is now. It, it is tangible. I can touch it. I clean the mats, all that kind of stuff. It is an absolutely surreal and it's magical. It's like a kind of a magical thing that uh, this thing that was once in my head for so long is now right. In, it's crazy. Congratulations on that. Here's Thank a couple, so ra here's a couple uh, rapid fire questions for people to get to know you a little bit more. When you need to clear your mind or recharge your body, what do you do? One, breathe. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Navy SEAL breathing or tactical breathing. All that is you breathe in, you take a long breath in for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, you release for four seconds. And you do four rounds of that. Lowers your heart rate, keeps you in the present moment, keeps you focused. That or depending on where I am, let's say I'm at my gym, I'll do 10 to 20 push-ups. I'll get just a little bit of physical activity to just get out of my head. Is there a book 
that influenced your life or changed your mind the most? I'll tell you, a newer book that I really like is it's called It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad. Mm-hmm. And Trevor Moad is, or was, he actually just passed away last week. He, or was, a mental performance coach. He works with some high-level, the Olympic sprinter Michael Johnson was one of them. Uh, Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, was one of them. His book, It Takes What It Takes, it goes against the idea of positive thinking and negative thinking, and it shifts. It's very similar, and I know you love this too, is stoicism. He goes into a theory called neutral thinking, and it's it's very interesting in that, just in this way, in that positive thinking isn't always great. When everybody is positive all the time, you end up lying to yourself, right? But then when you're negative, that also doesn't do you any good as well. Like negative thinking works negatively 100% of the time. Positive thinking doesn't always work positively 100% of the time. So he strikes like a balance of right in the middle of neutral thinking. And that's, let's say that I'm cornering an MMA fighter. And he just has a really bad round. He comes back to me and his eyes swollen shut, his lips bleeding. He clearly lost. Uh, he clearly lost his round. And if I was a positive coach, if he came back and I was like, but we got him right where we want him. Clearly, that's the wrong information. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he didn't do something correctly. We made a bunch of strategical errors and we got stuff to fix. Negatively, if he came back and I was like, man, what the hell was that? That was just garbage. You're not doing anything. Uh, you, you lost this fight and I'm just berating him. How good is he going to feel going into his third and final round? Mm-hmm. Probably not good at all. If he comes back to me and I'm like, obviously that's not what we wanted. It wasn't a great round. Good news is you're still in this fight. Here are just the tactical errors that we have to clean up real quick. And I give him usable, valuable information that's the neutral thinking where it's not positive, it's not negative, it just is. It's that productive realism. Yes. And you mentioned stoicism a couple minutes ago, and yeah. a book I just finished that blew my mind. Uh, it was called The Choice by Dr. Edith Edgar, who who is an Auschwitz survivor in World War II. Okay. And James Stockdale, uh, a famous stoic pilot of the of the Vietnam War that was shot yeah. down, prisoner of war, admiral in the Navy. Admiral Stockdale basically said, and Edgar, Dr. Edgar says the same thing in her book, the optimists died first because they would say, we're going to be freed by Christmas. And Christmas yeah. comes and it's not, there's multiple examples of the people that said all year we'll be out by Christmas, that they die the day after Christmas just because they lost hope. But the ones that just said, I'm in a bad situation, I am going to get out of this, but we don't know when it's going to happen. Like that productive realism, they're the ones that usually made it mentally. To be be honest, that's that's a way that uh, without ever knowing any of this stuff, kind of how I look at my disability. Like like, uh, in that a bad thing happened to me. I can't control that I was diagnosed with this, but... I could control everything else that happens after. And then when something knocks me down, I'm able to say to myself, yeah, this sucks, but I've been here before and I've been able to get out of it. So we're just going to do that again. Yep. We're just going to repeat that process that we've been doing our whole life. Even when things get tough, even when, like, when I do my mental performance 
coaching with people and we get deep into the weeds. And I say, we've been through bad stuff, but we've come through. And it's honestly like a way that I, I look at it. I look at my life like I, I, I wasn't supposed to be anything. And here I am now. Like, I know that I can't be beat, that no one's going to. No one's going to stop me. I'm going to achieve everything that I want to just because people have been trying to stop me my entire life. And yet here I am. I feel pretty good about it. A quote you have on your website, you said, I focus on the process rather than the outcome. Yes. Each day you show up, put in the work, and then the outcome may or may not come, but the process continues. Honestly, during my losing streak, I could say that now looking back, in being, I don't know what I was, 26 or, or something like that. I was way too outcome. It was all about just getting one win. Like, I just have to get that one win. I just have to get that one win. And, and then when I get that one win, like everything will take care of itself. And I didn't focus on the process enough of refining my technique to get the win. What's your personal definition of success being able to do what you love every day and no matter what good or bad comes your way knowing that you're doing things for the reasons that you want to do them for instead of having to do them for Mm -hmm. perfect how about what's the most exciting project you're working on now, Matt? My gym. 100% my gym. Yeah. Um, what's the next step? Okay, you opened it, you're rolling, the students are growing. What's your next big thing you're working on? With? I got some students already competing. We just last month, I had my first student compete, took a silver medal. So cool. yeah, really cool after that. Just growing the school, you I know, getting, getting the right type of people around me, people that want to learn, they want to work hard. I don't shy away from the fact that training in jiu-jitsu is a little difficult and you do have to work hard at it. So I like people that that come in with the right approach, the right mindset, like to work hard, but just growing the school and watching it grow and coming up with new programs, new ideas for the school every day. What advice would you have for a teenager that maybe is suffering from some sort of disability or maybe it doesn't have as fair as a playing field as other people do. What advice would you have for them as they start high school or they start their college career, or maybe they're entering the workforce? One, those things are all a little different, right? The workforce in general, I, I don't have an answer for that. I tried to get regular jobs a bunch of times. And one of the reasons I decided to own my own business was it, it is difficult to to get hired being a disabled person just because you cannot get hired because you're disabled but obviously a company will never say that or nor would do they have to right they could always come up with a reason that you're not going to get hired that goes against you but for a younger person let's say the high school age not to be embarrassed about your disability there's a lot of value in being vulnerable and just being honest with people about what you can and can't do and also what you're feeling, because not everybody's going to understand, right? Not all the kids in your high school are going to understand where you come from, your high school, your gym, whatever the, the situation is. But the more that you're vulnerable and the more that you're honest with people and the more that you're upfront with people and the more people know your story, like try not to always be the person that talks about your disability. Um, Talk about other things that interest you besides that you either walk with a walker or crutches or you're in a wheelchair or whatever may separate you from your disability. But like I said, I can't run from my disability. 
I'm honest with them. And at a certain point, I am vulnerable. And I think that's what makes me a better coach is that when my guys ask me some things, I'm not afraid to tell them that I don't know the answer to that. But I'll say, I don't know that right now. Give me 24 hours and I'll come back with the answer to that question. Whereas in my experience, sometimes because of a person's rank or how long they've trained or things like that, they're afraid to admit that they don't know something. So they'll just make up an answer on the spot because they think that's somehow better than hurting their ego or the the persona that they have as either a black belt or as, as an instructor. But it's the same thing for people. Be vulnerable because as funny as it sounds, shared pain and shared experiences are what connects us the best yeah right because once we can start to connect to people that brings on an empathy and a compassion within people where they understand that even though everyone leads different lives we've all had our share of struggle and it's the struggle that makes us stronger and it's actually the struggle that brings us together more than anything else What's the first 60 minutes of your day look like? Ooh, uh, for 60 minutes, I do my, my morning routine of getting up, getting dressed, shower, all that stuff. And then I am I am out the door. I am up to my brother's gym. My brother owns a strength and conditioning gym. I run the front desk for him. I'm his lead admin. I work from 8 to 12. And then 3 o'clock, I'm up at my gym and I'm there till 7 o'clock so it's basically my day is going from gym to gym last few questions what values do you try to pass on to your students work ethic is a big one sometimes i've been accused of being a little bit of a meathead but i am a meathead right <laughs> part of me is still that that old school wrestler part of it comes from just having my disability i don't like to see people unless you're injured see people sit out multiple rounds of rolling. I like to see people push. And the reason that I like to see people push is because I look at people who come in and they'll do one round and they're like, oh man, I'm tired. And the first thing that I think is, man, what are you wasting? I've been on the mat with so many people throughout my career. And I like one of the things that goes through my head is if I was given the opportunities that you were, like with the body that you have and that yeah, like the ability that you have and the talents that you have. I know that I would be a world champion right now. And there, oh, I always want people to work hard and strive for just a little bit more mm-hmm. than what they think that they're, able, they're capable of doing. If you could go back and talk to your parents the moment they decided not to put you in that facility and just leave and never turn back. I think so the doctor said, if yeah. you could talk to them at that moment, they said, no, we're going to do this ourselves and we're going to do it the right way. What, what would you want to tell them? Just thank you, right? That's the most simple thing you could say, but also the most powerful. And then the other thing is you're not going to regret this. You're not going to regret this because, you know, I'm going to absolutely kill my life. <laughs> right. everything that's put in front of me i'm absolutely going to kill that's awesome uh, that's phenomenal last question here matt if you had to get a quote or a tattoo of a saying on your body 
What would that quote or motto say? We are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is my habit. Wow. Don't go, don't go Aristotle at us, man. That is a Aristotle. Man, I think Aristotle is about as good as a spot to wrap up a conversation as any. That is phenomenal. Matt Marcinic. First off, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Honor to speak with you. Wish you nothing but the best with the, the No Limits Grappling Academy and your training and everything you got going on. It is so impressive and humbling what you got going on. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. If people were looking for you in your academy online, uh, where can they find you on social media? <clears throat> sure. My personal website is mattmarcinek.com, M-A-T-M-A-R-C-I-N-E-K. And then same thing on all social media, Matt Marcinek. And then my academy is no limits grappling academy.com. Okay. No limits grappling on Instagram. And then you could just Google no limits grappling academy. And I think all of my social one, everything will come up too. That's awesome. Matt Marcinic, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Continued health, continued success. Keep grinding and really impressive what you got going on, man. It's been a pleasure, brother. Thank you.